Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to the ninth episode in our second season of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. On today's episode, we have Dr. Joy Cox, she, her, here to ground our conversation on embodiment in her research, connectedness, and her views on an expansive future. Dr. Joy Cox is a body justice advocate using her skill set in research and leadership to foster social change through the promotion of fat acceptance and diversity and inclusion. With 39 years living as a fat, black, cisgendered woman and eight plus years of professional experience under her belt, Dr. Cox draws on her own experiences and skill set to amplify the voices of those most marginalized in society, bringing attention to matters of intersectionality, addressing race, body size, accessibility, and quote, health, unquote. She has been featured on several podcasts and media productions, such as Food Psych with Christy Harrison, Nalgona Positivity Pride with Gloria Lucas, Fat Women of Color with Ivy Felicia, and The New York Times. Her book, Fat Girls in Black Bodies, Creating Communities of Our Own, was released in 2020 and has received outstanding reviews and has been featured in advocacy work near and far. Dr. Cox is the voice of an overcomer looking to propel others into a place of freedom designed by their desires. You can find links to Dr. Cox's website, the Jabby app, and social media in this episode's show notes. Thank you so much for being here, listening, and holding space with us, dear listeners. And now for today's episode. Our second season continues today with Dr. Joy Cox, she, her, who is joining us from New Jersey. Someone whose book, Fat Girls and Black Bodies, is one of our absolute favorites from 2020, and in fact, all of the pandemic, as we were discussing just before we started. It really is a must-read, and we can't wait to explore it with you listeners. So let's begin. How are you doing today, Joy? I'm doing great. How are, how are you? I'm we're doing good. Wonderful. We're so excited. So yes. honored that you are on our podcast. Fan, fangirling. <laughs> I have a lot of adrenaline in my body right yeah. now. It's wonderful. Same. Same. <laughs> Same. As we start this conversation about being awake and aware in our bodies, I'd love to start with asking our usual scenario question about the themes of our podcast 
and how they occur to you. So could you share with us what embodiment means to you and what has your embodiment journey been like, if you'd like to share? Yeah, so, I mean, I think embodiment kind of means to me um, being present and, and being your full self uh, in whatever context that is, um, you know, I don't think it's just about being in in a place or occupying a place physically, but also mentally and emotionally. So just being fully aware and cognizant of where you are, um, and what shoes you're in and what space Mm -hmm. you're in, um, you know, and, and being proud of the space that you're in and taking up that space, fully owning that space, having agency in that space, that's embodiment to me. Um, yeah, so my embodiment journey, I mean, I think that it's been, um, progressive, uh, to, to say the least. I I don't think that I always started out, um, fully embodying, um, who I am or, or the spaces that I, that I'm in and that I occupy. Um, I think that those things have grown over time. It's definitely been something that, um, I had to get comfortable with, right? So like comfortable with owning my own space, comfortable with owning my own emotional, mental energy capacity, um, you know, and all of that. And, um, and I, you know, and even as a child, I think there were moments where you kind of get a glimpse of what embodiment is right to be fully in yourself and be fully aware. Um, but I also remember there were also times when that kind of got thwarted, right? And so it kind of makes you shrink back and it makes you question who you are and if you really deserve to be in the spaces that you're in. Um, and as someone who's kind of grown in um, predominantly white spaces or predominantly thin spaces, um, you know, deserving to be in a space is something that I think became the norm to be questioned internally, uh, you know, and internally. And so, um, just, just kind of growing out of that and learning, I don't have to question that anymore, or, you know, I'm not as concerned about people's comfort with how I embody a space, um, or how I embody who I am as a person. Right. Like, so we'll, we'll talk on this podcast and we'll talk about, you know, fatness and, and using the term fatness, right. And not being, um, as concerned about how people might feel about that or, uh, or those things, or, or just, you know, okay, if I'm the, you know, if I, if I'm the, if I'm the fat girl who, who loves to work out, or if I'm the fat girl who doesn't, um, fully owning that, because I think that there's a lot of criticism that comes both ways with those things. And so, um, my journey has been a mixed bag, definitely moments of comfort and peace, uh, and then moments of just thrashing and, you know, and just full out war, um, and that is internally as well as, you know, externally um, when we start talking about, you know, spaces where taking up space isn't as welcome. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love uh, just sitting in the word fully um, and really appreciating that, that there are so many different flavors, variations of embodiment that that emphasis on fully just made me feel really grounded in listening mm-hmm. to that. I love that as, as a opportunity, as a goal, even if we can't do it all the time, even if there's moments of war that we can still search for that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really sitting with me too. And the idea that it's not always an easy thing. It's not always a hard thing. It 
comes in waves, right? So it's, mm. it's a journey. It, it, there's no destination. It's just a journey. Mm. For sure. For sure. Oh, I love that. Um, as a human being, how has the pandemic itself affected your embodiment practices in ways that challenge your process? Has there um, been anything conversely that feels like it connects you further? Um, and what lights you up about your work? And when are you feeling most embodied? Yeah, I mean, I think the pandemic has in some ways positively impacted embodiment, right? Um, especially if you're somebody who has to work remote, right? It's like you don't have to do all the other things that people say make you quote unquote presentable uh, to the public, right? And so I'm more in myself, I think, during the pandemic mm -hmm. and now working remotely full time than I've been probably in a long time. Um, and so for me, um, that is something that I really do appreciate is, it's like being able to connect back with myself in ways where I'm not necessarily having to perform for audiences and be something that I'm not, um, you know, uh, even if that's, you know, cutting back. So maybe it's two meetings where I have to show up and look halfway put together as a <laughs> right during an eight hour day, as opposed to, you know, really in some ways, nine, maybe nine and a half hour days sometimes, you know, showing up where you are, you got to get dressed, you got to get washed up. And I'm not saying getting washed up and getting dressed is not a thing. But what I am saying is that there's a ritual that typically we go through, right, that makes us presentable and, um, and being able to, um, to connect back to myself during the pandemic has been um, definitely positive. I mean, I think the other parts of that is like with the pandemic, you know, yeah, some things change, right? So um, some ways how I move my body's change because I was not going, I mean, I wasn't going outside and shopping and hitting stores and doing all those things like I was doing before. And so, you know, routine switched up. And so what does that look like, right? And how are you still at home within yourself when there's change that's kind of happening all around you? Um, you know, I, it, 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 it's, it's interesting to me how, you know, there was a, there was a push to even still let like your identity shine even through mask wearing like at some point I was like you know I can't just keep doing these regular masks I'll do that <laughs> mask under it but is there something something more fashionable where's the colors where's this where's that right mm -hmm. this place of still wanting to feel um to be yourself to connect back to yourself throughout the pandemic and 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 all of those things and so um, you know, I think that I went through a lot of similar things that everybody else did, not being able to connect with family regularly, not being able to see people in person um, and all of those things. But my alone time and I guess I should flag this and say I'm an introvert. And so my alone time was like really um, strengthened uh, or I found myself being strengthened uh, in my alone time in ways that. Uh, I hadn't been able to do previously. And then everything else I was just in the process of adjusting to, right? So we change how we move and we change how we kind of function in some ways to accommodate um, a new normal of sorts. Um, but all in all, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I mean, I think the, the pandemic, you know, really shook up a lot of people's lives in ways that, I will never know, you know, um, I didn't have, uh, 
a lot of family members or anything like that. People who were extremely close to me who passed away solely from COVID. Um, but I think there were, you know, we know that there were a lot of people um, in this country who experienced that, um, you know, and for some people, this was the first time their bodies had gotten larger in a long time. Mm-hmm. And so there was them having to adjust to that. Um but, you know, I've been fat my whole life. And so, you know, you make it you shift, you make it work, you do what you do. And um, and so that wasn't um, such a big change for me. But but ultimately, you know, kind of being at home with myself was really a moment of, I think, rejuvenation. So much mm-hmm. so that when, you know, the call for people to go back to the office um, was made, I was like, yeah, I probably need to look for another job because... <laughs> What I'm doing here is working for me and I like it and I like to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of introverts really benefited from this because we weren't, I'm an introvert. Um, Mm -hmm. We weren't forced to, or not forced, Mm -hmm. but strongly encouraged to interact with other people. Um, Right. I definitely enjoyed it for that reason. Um, I miss touching people. That was probably the only part that I really miss, like hugging people who didn't live in my own home. But what really stuck out for me was how easy, how much easier it felt to be yourself when you were at home and you didn't have to do this kind of performative presentation of yourself. Um, I hear that from a lot of people that there was a lot of fear for, you know, fat people that I've known in my life, myself included, of being perceived again to go back out into the world when we were able to go kind of back into the world, Mm -hmm. that the discomfort of being perceived again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a new shell all over. It is. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is very interesting because I would have called myself an extrovert before the pandemic. And I absolutely would not now. I have (laughs) never felt so rejuvenated, so relaxed, so comfortable in my skin, in my house. You all can't see this who are just listening to this, but like I'm even comfortable with my mess being out (laughs) for everyone to see, like in my own office. Like I don't, the, the, when talking about um, being presentable was bringing up professionalism for me, mm-hmm. wh- which includes um, not just ways in which we're perceived, but also ways in which a lot of people are oppressed in the workplace, that they have to do things a yes. particular way. And that's where their energy has to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and just feeling like the inner introvert of everyone just has gotten a bit of a break. I love I love that perspective. Right. Even if people are primarily extroverted. I think there is something really to be said um, for having to slow down mm-hmm. and having to confront that, especially if you never have before. Right. <laughs> right. Same. Right. 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 So I really, right. I really appreciate that. Appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think slowing down in the, you know, in the pandemic as a whole kind of put perspective on life as itself, I think, you know, um, you know, something in this country is that like we get up and we go, even if you are in, you know, if you're in the South or if you're in another place and things are running a little bit slower, uh, overall, as a society, we get up and we go, right? Mm-hmm. We are working five, maybe for some people, six and seven days a week, Um you know, at some point you're just running on autopilot. You know what you're going to wear on Monday. You know what you're going to wear on Tuesday. You know what you're, where you're going to go for lunch. Some of us meal prep, which means we're probably going to be eating the same thing for four days at a time. Cause that's how, you know, that's how you cook it, you know, in bulk and, and different things like that. And I think having 
the pandemic happened, you know, under horrible circumstances, nonetheless. Um, but being able to take a step back and saying, hey, has that always been there? Is this how we, you know, have I been doing this thing for so long? You know, it's, you lose sight of sometimes the things that matter the most. It's like, oh, I can't touch my family. I really physically can't be around the people that I care about the most. And then you start to realize how much that part of your life matters and means to you, right? In comparison to these other things that we tend to put ahead of those things. And I think, you know, when people talk about the great resignation that happened and people weren't willing to go back to work, I think some of that was about being able to slow down and really think about what you were putting on the line and what you were getting back in return. And for some people, they said the cost was too high. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that having time to think is, is probably one of our greatest assets in society as a whole. Um, but when you think about the more marginalized you are, the less time you have for that. And as a result, you wind up making decisions that help you survive to get to the next space. Um, and that agency gets ripped from you to make bigger decisions down the line um, that could possibly benefit you. And so, no, you're not thinking about investing and you're not thinking about wellness. Um, you know, some of us have health insurance, but we're not going to go see the doctor because we don't have time. Right. Like we don't have time to do that. We don't have time to take care of ourselves, to do X, Y, and Z, all this other stuff. You know, I'm thinking about survival. Survival is in the forefront of my mind. And as a result, um, the thing that hits me down the road is going to hurt me more. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm robbed of that time to really be mindful, to be fully present, to embody um, mm -hmm. a space, a time in my mm -hmm. life where it matters. Um and it, and that outcome doesn't, you know, the outcomes don't always work out in, in individuals' favor as a result. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, embodiment about what matters. I think that might have been the order of your words, but that's how they're showing up in my brain. That that's that feels really important. We often talk about journal topics when we were recording podcast episode, and I was just like. I want to think about embodiment when it matters. The context feels really important. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, mm. I, I agree with you that the pandemic really helped, hone, at least for me, hone in on what matters, who I was willing to give time to, to make sure we could connect however we could connect because there was so little opportunity for that unless you're doing things on screens and screens are really exhausting. So yeah, I really appreciate that. That's really helpful. Mm. <laughs> Um, I want to show gratitude for your book overall. We're going to talk about it in a few different ways, but um, in the book, mm. you discuss the adultification of Black girls in our society, both in and out of the Black community. It's definitely not discussed nearly enough. How do you suggest those socialized as female seek embodiment when they had to grow up much too fast, too soon, and may not have as much access to what brought them joy when they were younger? So I'll say for me, because I I experienced adultification, I think, in a different way mm -hmm. um, from a very young age, being in a larger body. Um, I was definitely on the mammy track. 
<laughs> if there was a track, right? I was on the mammy track. And so I was dressed differently. Um, things were expected of me differently. I was expected to be the responsible one. People usually don't know that I am the second of three. So I have two sisters. I'm the middle mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. There is an older child, uh, my oldest sister. Uh, when people usually meet me, they think I'm the oldest. <laughs> uh, and I think part of that comes from the conditioning that I had and that I experienced as a child where mm-hmm. I was told I had to be responsible for other people. I was mm-hmm. expected to carry um, you know, responsibilities in ways that maybe my older sister wasn't. Um, and so, you know, um, being on that mammy track and, and having things put on you, um, responsibilities put on you, expectations put on you, clothing put on you. Um, for me, it was about kind of going back to the roots, kind of going back to the source. Um, when I finished writing the book in, uh, 2000, was it 2019? I think I finished writing the book. Well, I was supposed to finish writing the book. (laughs) This was how I was supposed to have finished writing the book when I took my trip to Dakar. Um, And one of the reasons why I took the trip, um, I asked myself, what do you want to do? Like, it it was my birthday. I took the trip in honor of my birthday and writing the book, finishing the book. And I asked myself, I said, you know, well, if you're going to go by yourself, if you're going to go to a place by yourself, what do you want to do? Right. And some of this is like going back to the source, because I feel like even though things get snuffed out, sometimes we don't lose, you know, you don't lose the roots of the thing that makes you happy. You don't lose the roots of the things that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes that's the beauty of being a human is that people, when they chop things down, they can chop down trees, they can chop down branches, but they typically can't get to the root, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Which which then gives us hope. If we have the hope, if we have the willingness to rebuild, we let that thing just grow and it's going to sprout again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so going back to the root, I said, well, Joy, what do you want to do, right? And I like animals. And so I was like, you know, I kind of want to do the whole safari thing. I want to do the safari thing, you know, I like animals. Also, people always look at me when I'm weird because I, well, they look at me like I'm weird because I'm like, I'm not a beach person. I don't, I, I mean, <laughs> after we sit there, what are we going to do? Going to kick up some sand? <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Right? And so the, so the beach really doesn't do it for me. But when people talk about going on vacation, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Let's go to beach. So I'm like, I don't really want to go to beach. If you're going on a trip by yourself, plan something that you want. And so I planned this, like, you know, the safari thing. I was like, let's do, you know, let's find a place that we can go. Um, I settled on Dakar uh, in Senegal because I did want to take a trip um, to Africa. I knew I needed the plane ride to work out for me. Nigeria is super long. Mm-hmm. Ghana, there was the year of return. I was like, I didn't really want to go to Ghana just to, I didn't want to go to Ghana to only wind up like in Atlanta, right? So like mm-hmm. I go to Ghana to see Ghana and everybody's from Atlanta is in Ghana. And I'm like, oh, I could have just seen y'all in the summertime. So I didn't want to <laughs> do that. Um, and so I settled on Dakar based on the things that I liked. Mm-hmm. And going back to those places, even if it was by myself, 
you know, um, people took pictures of me and stuff. And so I get the pictures back and I'm like, wow, like I hadn't seen that smile in years. Like it was like a kid's smile, right? Like, which took me back, right? And, And showed me that there were ways that I was connecting back to myself and owning the space that I was in and occupying the space that I was in and having agency and being fully present emotionally and physically um, in a way that it showed. And and it's like beauty. I can't even, you know, and it wasn't so much like, oh, because it's my face, but you could see genuine happiness, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could see like just genuine satisfaction through the pictures, not because, um, not because I painted my face, not because I was like doing it for the gram, not any of those things. Right. And I feel like when we talk about adultification, sometimes it's about going back to the roots Mm. of the thing that speaks to you as an individual. Right. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's easy. Right. I'm not saying that that's Mm. easy at all, because depending on how, what it takes for you to go back to those places, it can be just as painful. Um, but reconnecting back with the roots of who you are and your own identity as a person, and then finding ways to stay connected, finding mm-hmm. ways to be present in those moments, even mm-hmm. if being present in those moments is something that's fleeting, right? Mm-hmm. And so like for me, I was at the safari, I did that thing in Dakar or whatever. I was there for like 11 days, which was probably way too long, but I was there. And the moments that I was there, I really enjoyed myself and I really had a good time. And I had mm-hmm. a moment to connect back to little joy without somebody else saying, oh, well, why, why we ain't just go to the beach or I want to go to the club. I don't want to go to the club. Okay, <laughs> I, my feet hurt. I don't want to go to club. I want to go and look at the animals, right? Mm-hmm. I want to take pictures. And I was so close to the giraffes. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a moment of like, oh, this is like when I was seven years old and this is great. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I feel like those places, moments like that, fill me up internally and help me to be whole, mm-hmm. right? And help me to move on through different stages of my life um, where I'm able to kind of plug holes, right? So that whenever I'm showing up as an adult now, I'm showing up as a whole person and not feeling like I missed out on so much. Like you can't, you obviously, we can't, you know, we can't rewind time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that you tuck away your trauma and all of those things, definitely heal from that. But some of that healing from that trauma can be to go back to those spaces and reclaim those spaces for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if people don't, don't, oh, well, you didn't buy a bikini. You didn't, I don't care about none of that <laughs> stuff. Like, I like animals. That's what I want to do, right? And yeah. I think sometimes for Black girls, young Black girls in particular, we get told what we're supposed to like. We get mm-hmm. told what we're supposed to do. We get told, and this is like in, in culture and outside of culture, we're constantly being told what we should look like, what we should wear, what we should eat, what music we should listen to, how we should talk, how we should act what we should shoot for for the future and so much of that um some of that can be positive some of that can be negative but I think sometimes what we don't think about is how that washes away what we really want to do 
Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so if I really, really, really as a kid wanted to be a cartoonist and everybody says that a black woman should be a nurse. Right. Like it may be positive in that people are looking out and they want what's best for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pushing you towards that way. And so, no, you don't get to go outside and play with the other kids. No, you don't get more time, you know, to, to do the thing that you're passionate about. Um, but it's also dimming your light. Mm-hmm. And so it's always good to kind of reconnect um, with yourself. And I think for Black women in particular, we don't ask ourselves enough, what do you want? Yes. Right? Oftentimes it's about everybody else. And some of that just comes from the codependency that happens. You know, when we talk about, you know, um, collective cultures, it's about the whole. It's about everybody, right? Mm-hmm. The one person goes to college, to, and and that is a that's an achievement for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start to think about how you can help your whole family get somewhere better, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm buy my mama house. I'm gonna buy this person car. I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna do. It's always about somebody else, yeah. and yeah. it's not until you are you know, 42, possibly with, you know, kids and everything else that you stop and be like, but what do you want? Mm -hmm. And now you're looking around like, I got all this stuff and I'm still unfulfilled. Yes. And you know Mm -hmm. what people do? They go back to the root. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, well, I remember when I was 12 years old, when I was 10 years old, I had this passion to be a cartoonist. Mm-hmm. So I started taking classes and now I'm drawing cartoons. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're 46 now, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. some of this long story, right, long explanation to say. I love it. It's about going back to the roots and reconnecting with yourself about the things that you enjoy, the things that, you know, that bring you joy, the things that you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. you know, and for some of that, some of us, that might be childhood. Like we've changed over time, right? There might be in your 20s. I think that if you ask Black women now, when there were times in their life, can they recall times in their life when they felt like their lights were snuffed out? they'd be able to tell you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of that is about going back to those spaces and being able to light a flame, flicker a light, something right. That helps to, to heal that space and you reclaim those parts of yourself, um, Mm -hmm. as you move forward. Oof. Oh, that answer. Oof. Oh, that was good. I wrote two things down. I could count for like 20 minutes in response to that, but I wrote two things down. Well, okay, three. Um, because <laughs> I definitely <laughs> the minute you said, can black women remember the times their lights were stuffed up my stomach just went, oh, because I can just instantly, yeah. instantly agree with that. That's just such a painful reckoning. Um, but one thing that I wrote as you were talking was the body remembers, you know, um, this whole idea of this rootedness, right? even if we might not have this memory ourselves, our body has these memories of what brought joy. Like, and I, it sounds so funny. I just keep saying joy, but that's the word that keeps coming to mind, even though it's your name. probably happens to you all the time, but um, mm-hmm. the rootedness of it, like your body, I can think of things that make me light up as I do them now that lit me up when I was five years old and just mm-hmm. tapping into that kind of that visceral response mm-hmm. in your body is what it sounds like you did. And I, I was thinking about that because I love this book. I'm holding it up. I've read it a few times. I've listened to it a few times. And every time I read it, when I listen to you and your travels in Dakar, like I'm smiling so hard, my face hurts. And I feel like 
I can just feel the joy of that, of that trip for you. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just a really special, special piece of that book, which I already love anyway, but that's Mm. what's uh, standing out for me right now. Fully breathing into your wholeness was, is my way of saying a summary of something you said that like made something catch in my throat. Um, that um, I was just really sitting with how that's kept from people, kept from black women, kept from black girls. Um, and to the, this question of what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? Where do I want to go? Is such an important life thing for life to be any one person's. Um, it made me both sad and hopeful sad and sitting in that and hopeful about what you've said about breathing about Mm -hmm. I think you called it relighting the flame Mm -hmm. um as a visual for reclamation is really sitting with me really beautiful and thank you Siobhan for what you shared also Mm -hmm. um it didn't feel long to me. I wanted you to keep going, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> like truly, uh, um, which is also how I felt while reading your book. And actually something was really interesting. So in the preface to your book, you said something that stuck with me for the whole time. And I actually still have not been able to stop thinking about. And that's where you were describing what it means to belong while not really belonging. Mm-hmm. Um. And the second half of our podcast name, Embodiment for the Rest of Us, is Rest of Us. Makes me curious what the rest of us um, means to you. How do you identify within the rest of us? Um, And I know we shared it at the beginning, but I'd love for you to share your pronouns and name your privileged identities in this context here too. Um, in, In thinking about what it means to belong while not really belonging. Yeah, so my pronouns are she, her. Um, I, if I have privileged uh, identities, I think it is to be able-bodied. Um, I am not neurodivergent from what I know. Uh, um, you know, I'm also not a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, you know, arguably, I'm not impoverished. <laughs> uh, um, I've, I've been, you know, I've been blessed in some ways to have financial stability in ways that I didn't experience that I would say five years ago, but I'm here now. Um, and so, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, I mean, those are the identities I think that kind of stick out the most to me. Um, I mean, I think when I hear rest of us, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's a a scratchy, it feels sandpaperish to me a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, you know, I I don't, I, I believe I'm a person that kind of believes that there's room for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, and so I do understand, you know, I do understand the, why things become, I guess, fragmented the way that they are and the need for things to be separated or segregated in some ways to benefit um, marginalized populations as it relates to the things that they've missed out on 
Um, but I very seldom, I mean, I, I don't think that I actually paid a whole lot of attention to rest of us in that way. Um, mm. I, I read it and I was like, okay, embodiment for the rest of us. I get mm. it. I got it. Um, you know, um, but I think that for me being part of the community, that's often othered. Mm -hmm. I only talk about being othered when I talk to different groups. Mm. Um, within the community, there is no rest of us within the community. There is no other there's us. Mm. Um, and within that space as us, there's room for everybody. Mm. Um, but when I'm outside of that space, then I'm talking to people about how they often don't make space for the rest of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Or for the people who have been othered. But within mm -hmm. community, you know, we we talk about there being space for everybody. And then if we have to bring up those terms about mm -hmm. rest and other, then we bring up those terms. Right. Because it's hard to get. I mean, it's hard to talk about for, like fatness in and of itself as an identity, um, to me really only works if you couple it with something else, right? So you're a fat woman or you're a fat man, or you're, you know, you're a black fat woman or a black fat man, or, um, or you're a black fat member of the LG, like fatness in and of itself doesn't exist solely by itself. It mm. is attached to other identities that then also um, create sub narratives about dominant marginalized identities. Um, mm. So like whenever you're thinking about it, uh, you know, there's a narrative about black women. If you become, if you are a fat black woman, right, that narrative is going to spin and it's going to change a little bit, right, mm -hmm. as it relates to your identity within blackness, not like, oh, this is just a fat creature out here floating. Like, no, mm -hmm. the narrative is written about your blackness as a black individual, as a black woman, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that narrative is going to become more negative than what it was as you just as a mm -hmm. black woman, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you take that same issue and you look at fatness and you attach it to a man, whether black or white, there's going to be less. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. less negativity around the, those terms, right? If you are mm -hmm. a fat white man, the, the most somebody probably going to say to you is that you out of shape, but it don't stop you from getting paid and it don't stop you from having pretty women on your arm. It don't stop you from making purchases, buying things, et cetera. If you're a fat black man, there's going to be some negativity that's associated, but the majority of the oppression that's going to hit your life comes from the fact that you are a black man. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we talk about fatness and we couple it particularly with matters of gender, I can't get a job. I'm seen as being, you know, I am less educated. I'm making less money, all of those things. And so um, when we have to bring those, those topics up within the fat community or fat communities that we belong in, that's when we start to talk about those things. We start to talk about intersectionality and how that impacts mm -hmm. the lived experiences of fat people. Um, but if we all know that, and if we are all well aware of those functionings, 
then there's room for all of us and we can go on and we can have a good time within the community as a community and we don't mm-hmm. got to do the whole othering thing because everybody knows where their lane is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and so that's kind of how I see that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm typically only talking about resting, rest of us, othering, et cetera, et cetera, when it's people who ain't part of, who don't have relationship, really. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Mm. Yeah. The way you describe it, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it feels like fatness is inherently intersectional. Like it's just going to compound on whatever identity already exists. Is that what you mean by that? Right. Mm. Because fatness in and of itself doesn't exist without, without those coupling narratives mm. 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 the larger context there thanks mm-hmm. thanks for asking that my brain was just going to ask a similar question make sure i understood i i, I appreciate that very much mm-hmm. um the zooming out the context considering things not in a vacuum mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely mm. Mm. i really need to sit with that that i haven't heard yeah. it that way like that's really mm. kind of blowing my mind a little bit here me so. too <laughs> I I love that. You know, something wonderful about you, Joy, and the way that you express these concepts that we have both interacted with and talked about a lot um, is that there's always some, I don't know how I'd phrase this, there's just um, places in which I think my privileges keep my brain from continuing forward with a thought. You help me see what a jump I'm going to need to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's why I keep saying, I appreciate that. I'm just noticing mm-hmm. like I need to jump a little further about this. I need to think about that. I am inside of a vacuum. Like these sorts of things are coming up for me. I wanted to clarify that because I don't want to just say I appreciate without telling you why I'm appreciating <laughs> yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something though that happens with everybody, right? Like there are things that I don't think about being mm-hmm. able-bodied that disabled people think about all the time. Yeah. So when disabled people say, hey, this, this, and this, I'm like, whoa, mind blown. Just, mm-hmm. I just wasn't there, right? Mm-hmm. There, are, there are things that I'm, even if, even, if, even if I was the fiercest advocate, mm-hmm. right, of disability rights, the fiercest advocate of LGBTQIA plus rights, there are going to be some things that that community experiences and goes through that I will never tap into. Absolutely. Mm. I need Mm. their stories. Mm -hmm. And this is why whenever we talk about the power of stories and letting people have voices, this is, Mm -hmm. this is part of it. This is why we amplify voices and we don't say it for other people Mm -hmm. because there are going to be things that they are going to be able to tell us that Mm -hmm. we will never tap into. As a black fat woman, there are things that I'm going to be able to speak to that somebody who's not black fat and a woman won't be able to touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can be okay with that, right, and not mm-hmm. sit with, because in society, we are often taught that there's a, there only can be one. Yes. Right. So if yes. you're this one, you got to be the best at everything. But if mm-hmm. you could if you could sit with that fact. And if it makes you uncomfortable, if you can sit with that uncomfortableness long enough for somebody else just to tell their story, you'll be better for it. Mm-hmm. We'll all be better for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Absolutely. me having a different lived experience from you and being able to speak to that is not me trying to step over or do 
do more or less or whatever, make myself better than like, no, I just need the space. Mm-hmm. I need the space. And you, and, and if you have the space and you say that you're for me, give me the space. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Give me the space to be able to talk about it. Give me the space to be able to express my lived experience in the way that I know how to do it, because mm-hmm. ultimately it's going to make all of us better. Mm-hmm. And you ain't going to be able to, t- you know, the old folks had a, um, there was like a saying it like in church. If you ever went to like, you know, a church that that's within black collectives, mm-hmm. right? Like you can't tell it like I tell it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's okay. Right. Yeah. Like be okay. We got to be okay with that. It's okay. You can't mm-hmm. tell it. Like I can tell it. There's people that going to tell stuff that I can't tell the same way. And mm-hmm. I don't feel no type of way about that. I just kind of slide out the way and let you tell what you're going to tell. And then mm-hmm. be fine. And I slide mm-hmm. back in when it's my turn again. <laughs> it's all yes. right. It's all right. It is. Mm-hmm. When I think of you and your work, the word community comes to mind from learning about your travels to your podcast to obviously the title of your incredible book. I'd love to learn more about your Jabby app, which creates mm-hmm. community in a different way. And also, how do you feel... Finding community helps with one sense of embodiment. Um, yeah, so Jabby is a size-inclusive, body-affirming wellness app that uh, I co-founded with uh, Bumi Alo um, that encourages people to move their body in their own way. Um, as somebody who lived in a larger body who was also active, uh, you know, I wanted to have kind of like a community in your pocket where you can kind of just take it with you wherever you go, good encouragements when you needed it. Um, and then also to, to remove the structure or the, the requirements around what it meant to be active or fit or all of those things. Um, Boomy is somebody who like really enjoy working out at the gym and doing all that stuff. And I was like, I'm home, you know, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I'm here doing my workouts via YouTube or, mm-hmm. you know, or different things that I found because that was the thing that helped me be comfortable. And so just kind of being birthed out of that, like we would, you know, we would talk to each other, text each other, like, how'd your day go? And it's like, I just got done working out. And then we would give each other encouragements like, oh, that's what's up. Like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And through that process, that was just something that we were doing, you know, back and forth. Um, one day and I sent the text and I was like, what, what do you think about making this something larger? Like, I think it would be great if somebody could, you know, if people were in this space where they could get the encouragements, um, you know, and stuff like that. And then like, he was on board with that. And so we went around and I'm not an app developer or any of that stuff. So that was fun. <laughs> um trying to figure out who to talk to and and all of that jazz um I was just somebody who had a vision um and was hoping that somebody could bring that to life and so that's kind of the basis of jabby where people can connect with one another you know um inclusive trainers also were interested and so it became a platform where you know if you wanted to connect with someone who had a background in like inclusive training that was something that you could do um and so, yeah, so that's kind of, that's where, that's where Jabby was like birthed from and mm-hmm. continues to be now, um, just as a, as a platform, just something that people can, 
you know, can share their thoughts, their ideas, also being part of community, like, hey, do you know where I can get good shoes to run in? Do you know, you know, what's good? You know, what's a good buy if you want to work out at home or, you know, those things. And and so we just wanted to kind of create a space around that for people to use it. Um, and we went live with Jabby. I think we launched Jabby in 20, was it 20, 2020, 2020, I think maybe it was 2021. Everything's a little bit blurred. Yep. <laughs> I feel like it's like pandemic fog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 2020, I think it was 2020. We launched Jabby. Um, and it's available on Android and Apple, you know, you can, if it's a tablet, if it's a phone, um, all of those things. And, um, I mean, I think, I think community can be, uh, the cheerleader Mm. to embodiment, right. It's Mm. the thing Mm. that, that, uh, that encourages people to keep going, to be themselves, Mm. right. To keep living Mm. in their truth. Mm. And so, um, I definitely see community as that support that that holds people up and encourages them and gives them legs when when theirs are tired to keep running mm. Mm. Ooh, I love yeah that. I love that so much and you were saying about um that that an underlying purpose of this is to change or remove the requirements of what it means to be active I was just sort of considering being in community about that to normalize that there isn't one way to do things Mm-hmm. Um, actually the only word I have for that right now is wow. And it feels really special, um, and needed and wanted. So I'm feeling really grateful for this space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Again, I think, you know, it's like things that you already know, uh, but, but we don't practice them. Right. We already know there's not, there's, there's more than one way to do a thing. Right. Yeah. We already know that, mm-hmm. uh, but we don't practice it. Mm. Um, we already know there's more than one way to be, but we don't, but we don't practice it. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, when you are, when we are thinking about the, the realization of Jabby is that there are many ways to do things, right. Mm. And here's a space where you can feel comfortable in practicing it. Mm. Oh, I love that. Um, and You'll have to tell me how you feel about this framing, Joy, but this is actually reminding me of the next question I wanted to ask and something towards the end of the book that I also can't stop thinking about, um, but also feels like, so the word here is going to be structural change, but right now my brain's putting community in there and I'm just kind of sitting with that. Um, There's a section near the end that says representation is great, but structural change is better. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about the word agency that you used earlier and how just witnessing something or noticing that something is present is very different from having agency Mm -hmm. Um, and how structures and systems can be in the way of that. Um, And also more specifically that the first one that having representation doesn't translate into structural change. They're two different things. Um, So both are really there and, and needed. So this is often subtext. I hear this as subtext a lot. Um, I love how you've already done that. I'm talking about fatness as being inherently intersectional. I love the way you said that too, Siobhan, that interrelatedness is really something to talk about more on the forward end of things. Um, How do you think representation and structural change can make 
embodiment more likely or profoundly consistent over time, or using some of the words you said earlier, um, more present in our bodies, whether that's embodiment or not? Well, I think representation and structural change is the golden ticket. I think that's what people push for. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes that's what's sold to people when they just get representation, Mm -hmm. right? So this idea that if you see somebody different, that everything else around that person or Mm -hmm. what that person is involved in is going to change, that Mm -hmm. is the great hope. That is what people are hoping for, right? Mm -hmm. And so we understand, and I think people who put people in positions of representation understand the power that can happen when representation and structural change takes place. But oftentimes what happens is that people are put in positions to be the representation with no power. And if you don't have any power, you can't create structural change. Um, And so, um, and so to your question, having Mm. someone who both has representation and the 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 influence or the power to create structural change, um, it absolutely would influence embodiment. It would it it, it absolutely would um, would change um, how people see themselves, right, and the agency that they feel within themselves to fully ocu- occupy the spaces of themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many people right now who are lying to themselves about how they feel about themselves in part because they don't see representation. Yes. And they're the structure that we have isn't in place to support the change that they want to be. Right. And I think it'd be great to, you know, I think in a, you know, I don't want to say in a perfect world, but I think that, you know, oftentimes we have this thing where we judge everybody the same way. Like the truth of the matter is that everybody is not going to be trailblazers. Mm-hmm. Everybody is not going to be fire starters. Mm-hmm. And those people who have chose to trailblaze and fire start, there is something on the inside of them that enables them to do that work against all odds, right? To have the courage mm-hmm. to be able to stand up and be like, F everybody else, this is what I'm going to do, right? Run with me or get run over. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't have that mindset. And so there are people who are looking for representation or in some ways, should I say, permission to be who they've always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And that may sound far-fetched to some people. That may sound like, what? Why would somebody wait for permission to be themselves? But they are. Yeah. You know, they absolutely are. To know that, you know, you think about the number of young girls that are waiting for somebody to say, it's okay if you want to work on cars. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with you if you want to work on cars. You want to work on cars, it's okay. Go ahead and work on cars, right? right? Or the number of young boys that is, it's okay if you like ballet. Do the mm-hmm. ballet thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's the same thing when we talk about representation and we talk about structural change. There mm-hmm. are people who are waiting for the trailblazers they're waiting for that thing to be birthed or they're just waiting for the validation right that thing that nudge that says oh so i'm not you know i I don't want to be ableist and saying this so i'm not you know i'm not losing my mind i'm not thinking Mm. outside you know Mm -hmm. those things they're waiting for somebody to say hey the way that you are is absolutely fine and you don't need to change anything Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that having representation and the power to create 
new structures or change the structures that you're in definitely would empower more people to embody who the who they are right to occupy those spaces in society and in themselves and we know it works and part of the way that we know it works is all the legislation that you see right now happening across the state mm-hmm. right the don't, don't say gay thing that's in that's in direct retaliation of the embodiment that people are seeing uh, individuals in the LGBTQIA plus community take. Absolutely. Oh, these people are happy to be, they're happy to be a part of this community. They're proud of who they are. What can we do mm-hmm. to change the thing? Because now representation isn't enough. No, mm-hmm. it's not enough to have people say that I sit on this board or I stand, or I'm the first elected X of this. Mm-hmm. When you don't give the first elected X of this power, Mm. Mm. right and so when you start to realize that the people who are embodying who they are is going to want everything that's owed to them Mm. right like we're not cutting no corners we want everything Mm. (laughs) right then you start seeing these other barriers be put up in place same thing with critical race theory it's a spin Mm -hmm. of right-wing politics and all of that jazz but it's because when you know the truth and you connect back to your roots of who you are, where you come from, what's valuable to you, what it means. You say, oh, wait, you owe me more than what I was going to ask for before. Mm-hmm. And I would like it all, please. Mm-hmm. 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 Give me all of it mm-hmm. since we're here. I mean, since we already at the table, you know, invited me to the table. Did you not give me all my stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I'm like, no, nah, ban everything. <laughs> ban, ban everything okay right. ban anything that has any type of connection to that's that the root of the thing right because the more people know the more they will feel empowered the more they feel empowered the more you want to see them representing who they are and if you find a trailblazer if you find a fire starter if you find somebody that has representation and also power you'll birth a nation Mm. Mm. nations yes so i got chills yeah i felt that way (laughs) at my very core Mm. right in the core yeah Mm. Mm. that's really powerful and it makes complete sense everything you said made complete sense it really really did oh my goodness oh my goodness yes oh my goodness my brain has gone like a thousand (laughs) miles an hour i'm trying to slow down Oh my goodness. Um, that is spectacular. But I it I hadn't even, I mean, obviously, I don't know what I'm gonna say. I can't even talk. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I also don't know what to say. Seriously, my brain is going so fast. Um, right. <laughs> um that distinction of representation with power, like with yes. structural power. Um It was just making me sad how very few trailblazers I could think of. Um, fire starters. And I was just sitting there thinking about some conditioned things in my whiteness that make me a, a firefighter. Like I put out fires. I have such a strong instinct for that. And I was just getting really mad at that. Um, yeah, there's real power, real representation is kind of sitting for me. I'm not quite sure about my choice of the word real, 
but that it's tangible and it's both. Well, and I think too, to that point, I mean, if you, if you run through your mind and you think about the number of people who both represent marginalized populations and have the means to create structural power, Mm -hmm. it's a very small number of individuals. Mm-hmm. I think your fire starters, your your trailblazers, they typically happen without outside of structural mm. spaces, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like, oftentimes either they're pushed out or they know from the onset that there's no space for them there. And so, you know, uh, for some people, compromise is not an issue. It's not an option, mm. right? Uh, and so you probably don't see them in those spaces as a result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me think, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking of all these, you know, these diversity, the DEI, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion, boards, hires, et cetera, have no power. Yeah. And but yeah. they're like, oh, we got a whatever on the board. We've got a whatever in the head of the whatever, and they can't do anything. That's that's really sitting with me right now. Yes. Structural change has to happen too. Mm -hmm. And to that point, I mean, the organizations that also hire them, understanding that they are going to block them on everything. Yes. Right. And so you get sold a good, I mean, they sell you on it and they say, come on, come. And then Mm -hmm. you want to do like real rearranging of things. And they say, no, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. No, that's going to take a little bit of time. Why don't you start with conversations? Mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so the person that comes in with the fire psh, psh, just yeah. constantly yeah. getting there oh i'm sorry because this is audio so psh, psh, it's water y'all yeah. so <laughs> they are constantly right they're getting their yes. they're getting their fire put out mm-hmm. yes and it's mm-hmm. being reduced to conversations mm-hmm. let's just talk mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. let's have a meeting right. about no the meeting <laughs> right yeah. right no mm-hmm. real change actually starts to take place or happens mm-hmm. um and the person who gets hired for the position is sold under this guise of being able to create change. And, oh, we want change and we want it this way and we want it that way. There's so much bureaucracy across organizations. Like you're never going to get close enough to mm. actually creating change. Mm. Right. Um, mm. But the illusion is there. That that's yeah. going to be a thing. And so. And a lot of lip service. I was just thinking of DEI statements. I, I mean, there's oh, been yeah. so many statements. Um, this is who we've hired. And these are our new visions and um, vision statements and all of that around it. But it's just lip service. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant earlier about whiteness and being a firefighter. That water that you were doing. I was like, it's like. How can we have someone come in here, look like we're doing everything white, right? Well, everything white also. And then how <laughs> how can we extinguish this in ways that doesn't totally put it out so that person is still able to put out these statements, but so there's no real change. Yeah, that makes me right. mad. Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. Mm. We've talked a lot about the big and small picture perspectives in this conversation. What do you think we can all do? to make a difference with what we've learned today. And also, what would you like everyone listening to know about what you're up to and how they can find you? Um, you know, I mean, I think that the the topic or the, the title of the podcast says everything, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we can do is embody 
who we are, mm-hmm. um, to walk and live in our truth. And, and, and if it's not you, be community for someone else. Uh, mm. be that support, be that encouragement mm. so that mm. they can embody who they are. You know, I always talk about this because when I get asked to do events and different things like that, and people are like, you know, everybody's excited to see me and all of that stuff. And again, I'm an introvert. So I am like the cubby hole person like, <laughs> Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Well, like, where's my dark hole? I can go in that sort of thing. Um, but I didn't write the book to create more of me's, mm. right? Like mm. my goal was never to um, to make more joys or when I talk, I don't strive to make more joys. Um, when I talk, what I strive to do is to speak to whatever that thing is in you that mm. relates to the things that I talk about in hopes that it, it will ignite whatever magic you have. Mm-hmm. And then you won't run, you won't run your own race, right? In your own lane, do your own thing. I can't speak for everybody else. I only can give you what's been given to me. And the hope is that whenever I give you what I got, that you're going to take it and you're going to repurpose it in a way that it works for you, that mm-hmm. enables you to be powerful in the lane that you have and the race that you got to run in. Cause I don't got to run that race. But once I pass the baton to you, I will become the community. And I will mm. encourage you and I will support you. And mm. I will say, run, leave that hurdle, do whatever you got to do, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so that's, you know, that would be my encouragement as to like what we can do. Find ways to encourage one another, find ways to be your full self and and, and walk in and live the fullness of your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I believe that that's something that, um, that's gifted to all of us. We all have the ability to live and walk in the fullness of our own lives in whatever capacity that is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I, my whole life isn't dedicated to social justice in the sense that like, I'm always here fighting, working, moving, pushing like, no, those, the, the premise of it, I stand by, right. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm active in it, I'm active in actual work, you know, pushing towards it. But then, you know, I laugh, I joke, you know, I watch a little snowfall. I, you know, I, I do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spend time with my family, uh, spend time with my friends, um, because those are the things that help fill me up. Those are the things that help me live life uh, in a very full way for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that would be my encouragement to everyone else. As far as what joy is up to, joy is not up to much. Um, joy is trying to lay low. Joy is trying to rest a little bit. Great. <laughs> we are in the blessed year of 2022. And I think um, 2022 is when joy started to feel like the um, like the burnout from everything. Right. So mm. people like, you know, when the pandemic first started, I have no idea what was happening to me, but I was just like, well, I don't feel a thing. So, you know, I'm running, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And, um, and I think this year I actually kind of started to feel a little tired. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I need to pull back a little bit, you know, I've kind of, I had to call some people and be like, ah, I can't do the project, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so being able to, to still stay connected and talk to people is, um, is definitely what I'm doing. So if you want to say I'm in community, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, just hanging out, you know, hanging out, hanging out with, with everybody else. Um, but 
outside of that, um, I don't really have anything slated that's big for me um, that's happening right now. And so, you know, we'll see. We shall see what the next, you know, what the next moves are. But for right now, I'm trying to just rest. And how can people find you? Yeah. So you can find me. I think probably my website is probably the best way to, to, to stay up, I guess, on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's drjoycox.com. And that's all one word. So D-R-J-O-Y-C-O-X.com. I'm also on Instagram as fresh out the cocoon. Um, all one word fresh out the cocoon um i tried to spell that once and it was like horrible uh, <laughs> on Facebook, under fresh out the cocoon but there's spaces in there so um so don't type it on and then i'm on twitter it's dr joy cox mm. yeah wonderful Ugh. love your year of rest Yes. Oh, thanks. Yes. thanks. I, I love that. Or whatever Let's time see. period it is. I was gonna say fingers crossed. Let's see if it lasts a whole year. But <laughs> I need to I need to, you know, I need to pull back a little bit. So so hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll keep to my word and nothing makes me itch enough that mm-hmm. I'm hopping up and doing things and having this same talk with myself in 2023. So <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Joy Cox, thank it's such an honor. Thank yeah. you so much. We are so appreciative of all of the knowledge that you have given mm. us and things to think about. It's been truly an honor. Like I said, I'm such a fangirl. I love this book. Yes. I bought it for like yes. four people. Like as soon as I finished it, I was like, Same. here, 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 here. Oh, thanks so much. Thank so, you. I thank really you. do appreciate the support mm-hmm. and I'm glad that the book spoke to you and yes. has spoken to others. Um, Cause ultimately, like I said, that's the hope. So yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you for all of your thoughtfulness and clarity. I'm taking a lot with me to think about. That is for sure. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Wonderfully so. Thank you for being you you. and for being here with us during your 2022 of rest. That makes, (laughs) I'm I'm just really sitting in that and feeling really grateful. No, thank you all for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks-ish, because let's be real here, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com, and follow us on social media on both Twitter at Embodiment Us and on Instagram at Embodiment for the Rest of Us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation.